0: This is Cody Robbins from Live to Hunt with Cody and Kelsey, and you're listening to Joby and Shed with the Foshy Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on Foshy Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on the Foshy Creek Podcast. It's not as good to speak the language, but it's close.
1: You're listening to the Foshi Creek Podcast. I'm Joby Holland. With me is Mr. Shed Whitaker, uh, co-host of the show and also from Mossy Oak. Uh, In today's episode, we have Mr. Josh Grossenbacher with us from Rolling Thunder Game Call. So Josh, appreciate you being with us. And uh, in spite of Shed being here, I'm glad you came on anyway.
2: I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you having me.
1: Yes, sir. Well, give us a little uh, background for the folks that, that don't know you and kind of tell us who you are. You can go back as far as you want to, family. Your turkey calling contest whatever you want to include
2: okay um well i'm from a small town in northeast ohio grew up not so much in a non-hunting family but uh my dad used to squirrel hunt before i was born and stuff and about third or fourth grade one of my best friends his dad and older brothers always hunted i can remember being at their house one time they got back from deer camp and they had a truck bed full of deer Man, I just thought that was the coolest thing and wanted to go. And later that year, me and my buddy, we went and got our hunting license and or took our uh, hunter safety course and got our hunting license and started squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting, stuff like that. And my dad drug me around doing that here and there, but uh, never got into deer or turkeys till it was more like junior high school. And when I started deer hunting, man, I just got hooked and wanted to learn and know as much as – I possibly could and I mean I was out there every day chasing squirrels looking at deer sign this and that I mean I wasn't any good at deer hunting I shot a ton of squirrels but just didn't have a teacher you know what I mean I was kind of learning on my own and just kept at it we didn't have any turkeys around here at the time and then I ended up going to college in southeastern Ohio a technical school called Hocking College and there were a lot of turkeys down there and really got the bug down there and started killing some down there. And, uh, Oh, that was in the nineties. And then that was about 2002. I entered my first Turkey calling contest. I won an amateur the first year, an amateur, an amateur contest. And then, uh, which bumped me up into the open contests and got my butt kicked in that for a few years. Uh, finally won an open and qualified for the grand nationals in 2004 I mean, man, that seems like forever ago, but that bug really bit me hard and been competing ever since. And it's open, turkey calling has opened so many doors for me as far as uh, a career in this industry, the people and the friends and just everybody I've met. And a major important part of my life is turkey calling, turkey hunting, just hunting in general.
1: Now, when, when you started in college, you kind of really started going, with, getting going with the turkey hunting. Obviously, you started practicing with the, practicing your calls and whatnot. Did you diaphragm call? Were you practicing in the truck? Did you just sit? And, when, when did you get to the point where you thought, you know, I'm not too bad at this. I'll go ahead and take a chance to get in the competition. How did all that go?
2: I guess I was one of the lucky ones. Like, when I first started mouth call, well, I take that back. The first mouth call I ever got, a buddy of mine gave me because i I'd never run one. And I practiced with that thing for probably two weeks before I realized that I had it in my mouth the wrong way. I was sucking on it. Like I had it instead of facing that away, I had it this away <laughs> going into my mouth and I was sucking in on it for two weeks. And I'm like, man, this sucks.
1: You know, this is terrible.
2: <laughs> and, uh, and finally I started doing it the right way. And it, it, it honestly didn't take me long to where I was like, it, it just wasn't a bunch of garbage coming out of my mouth, but I can remember running a mad MVP. It was a split V mouth call that I bought a long time ago and had a, a lot of success, like over the years, buying those calls that they were really consistent making good Turkey noises out of it. And then, um, Oh, I was, I was actually working for Mossy Oak at the time. They had an outlet store retail store in Nelsonville down there where, um, my college was and one of the boys that i worked with was a competitive turkey caller and he was always practicing and and we hosted a contest one year down there on the square at the uh stewart's opera house in nelsonville and i remember going over there and watching it and was helping out you know running score sheets stuff like that and i was just thinking man these guys are nuts it's like man it takes a lot of gall to get up there in front of these people and (laughs) do that you know it was a few years later my buddy he called me I I had moved back up to northeast Ohio from down there and he's like hey there's a big contest about 20 minutes from your house you care if I come up and uh, spend the night and go to this contest and I said yeah sure you know so he come up and we we're out in our shop at my mom and dad's and he was running his turkey calls and I was running mine and he's like man that sounds pretty good you should get in that amateur tomorrow and I'm like oh, I'll give it a try and so I did, and it was the most nerve-wracking thing I ever did in my life. But I finished eleventh out of twenty-two guys, and I thought, "Shoot, I didn't even practice for this. If I maybe put a little bit of time in it, we'll see what happens." And a few weeks later, I won the Ohio State Amateur, and there were twenty-six callers in that that day. So I don't know. I was feeling pretty good about it so I had to bump up into the open contest and started getting beat up pretty good. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Everybody starts somewhere, you know, and I took my beatings and just kept at it. And it, the, the beatings were probably the best thing for me as far as just keeping working at it, you know, and practicing to try to get better.
1: Now, when did you, what, what year would that have been when you won, uh, your, your, I guess your first Ohio State championship?
2: The amateur contest, the Ohio State amateur was uh, 2002.
1: Take us from there then, because you've you've been world champion and grand national champion. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I want to, okay, 2004 was the first year that I had ever, it was the first Grand National I ever qualified for, and that was in Columbus, Ohio. I got a quick funny story on that one if you got a minute. Yeah, certainly. Um, I was a nervous wreck for that. I knew I wasn't ready. I knew I was going to get smoked. I knew I didn't have a chance of making the cut, and we drew numbers. and, And at that point in time, you know, I was probably 24 four years yeah i was 24 years old and i'm standing in a room with walter parrot chris parrish jim pollard matt van size oh my god the list goes on so many guys that i grew up watching on tv like my heroes are all within you know spitting distance of me and i draw i drew number 10 and i remember at that contest there was a little back hallway of there were little rooms off that hallway where the callers could go in and sit there was couches and in, in these little rooms and stuff. And you'd go in there and blow your calls to where, you know, the audience and the judges and everybody out front couldn't hear you. So it was kind of staging room, whatever. And I'm sitting in there just crapping all over myself, nervous as, as heck. And, and Ricky Joe Bishop sits down in, the, in a chair, like right across from me. And I'm like, Oh my God, there's Ricky Joe Bishop. And he's sitting there yelping and, so intimidated I was and I'm sitting there and I got a cup of water on the floor next to me and some guy, I don't even know who he was. He was another caller, walks over, grabs my water cup off the floor, spits his chewing tobacco in it, sets my water down and walks on. So I'm sitting there, you know, I'm already in ball and nerves. And then this this guy just spits his chew right in my cup and walks on. Uh, Yeah. uh, I'll never forget it. Um, That was, uh, that was kind
0: of, My, like, welcome to the show moment. But how did you end up? That was the last time NWTF was in Columbus. Yeah, it was. And and the funny thing about that was, I was filming then, and Cuz is like, hey, if you want to go to Columbus, I know you, you grew up just right from there. You can go visit your parents for a day, and we'll go up to the NWTF and, you know, we'll film some stuff. You go with me. So we go, show up, get to the convention hall, and there's nothing there. He got the dates wrong. No way. Oh, yeah. We were there like five days early. So I went home and hung out at my parents' house for five days. And he sat in a motel room until so they got the convention going. He was awful weak. Oh. <laughs> That's was awesome. was awful, awesome too, because, you know, you come down the big stairs and you're going out, and he's like, where's everything at? And the whole convention hall was completely empty. They didn't even let anybody set up yet. <laughs> oh, my God. That's great.
1: Well, Josh, how did you do in that in the in that contest when he spit in your cup? And you remember how you fared in that one?
2: Oh man, I was uh, I was ten points from the from making the cut, which is quite a bit. I don't remember. I can't remember exactly how many guys were in that went, were in that contest that day. Probably around fifty. But I knew going into it, I was in trouble. But uh, from that point on, after that contest. I had a a videotape, a VHS tape, of uh, the 2003 Grand National Finals where uh, Jim Pollard won it and Chris Parrish finished second. And I'd hate to know how many times I watched Chris Parrish and Jim Pollard call on that videotape because I know, and God strike me dead right now if I'm lying, I watched that video at least once every day, if not multiple times. Laying in bed, I always had it playing just, just, I know I should have been listening to real turkeys too, but I was trying to pick up how these guys were playing the game Mm -hmm. and the way that they were putting things together. And I mean, I just, I watched it so much and practiced and practiced and practiced. And when 2005 rolled around, I was qualified and I went down there and I was so ready there were, 50, there were 57 callers that day, and I drew number 55. You've been in those contests, right, Shed? I've never called in
0: one. I, I don't.
2: I, I mean, you've been. I, but I've seen plenty of them, yeah. Okay, so you know how they drag out. Yeah. Imagine 57 callers and you're caller number mm-hmm. 55. I mean, I could have taken a three-hour nap and still had an hour to get, get up and get ready to go. I mean, it was a long, nerve-wracking day, but I, um. I ended up going up there calling. I felt like I did good. They announced the top 10 and I had placed, I was tied for fifth with Matt Moret that day, which, I mean, you know, he was another one of uh, my heroes that I grew up watching on TV. And I mean, I was, I was right in there in the mix with, with the big guys. But the coolest thing about that day was um, my score sheets Denny Galvis was a judge that day and he gave me two 20s on both of my he gave me 20s on both of my yelps and, and put some stars next to him and if if you're not familiar with Denny Galvis he's like the turkey guru when it comes to turkey calling I mean he he knows turkeys and uh it was like the, the one of the highest compliments I've ever received was to to be scored like that from Denny so that I made the cut that day that was the first time I ever made the cut and I went into to the finals the next day and oh boy i was balling nerves and i ended up uh going through my calls and we had to cluck and purr was our last call and i wasn't confident clucking and purring on a mouth call yet and i could have went with a a friction call and just clucked and purred and got through it you know but i i didn't want to be up be that guy up there clucking and purring. i wanted to if it would have rolled like it could like sometimes it would maybe i could do good but it didn't roll and I'm standing up there in those bright lights in front of all those people and I wish it wasn't rolling. I wish a sniper would have just taken me out at that time because it, <laughs> it, it was like the loneliest feeling in the world because like it it was garbage and I ended up uh, last in the finals that day. Made the cut a few more times over the years. Had some years I missed it by a point. I think I missed the cut three or four times by a half a point or a point which is uh, frustrating
0: but so they'll, they'll bring oh. you by half a point, like what, yeah. it was 17.5 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. They started doing that
2: maybe, I don't know, six, seven years ago, they started adding half points. Uh, but then, oh, there were, there were some years in there where I finished second at the U S open and like, I'm trying to think made the top five a few times at the world. And then uh oh geez. Yeah, it was 2015. We were we were out in Arkansas. They um at Max Prairie Wings they started they started running some contests out there. The world champ well they they had a contest called the uh All American Turkey Calling Championship is what it was called. They ran that for a few years, then they uh then they got the title and were holding the uh the world championships out there. Call it out there for well, every year they had it, but 2015 I was able to to win that one. That was a pretty big deal for me. It still is. I still can't believe it. But then uh, back to the Grand Nationals after that. 2017 I won the head-to-head division and finished fourth that year. And then 2018 and 19 I finished first runner-up in the in the Senior Open. And then last year I wasn't very well prepared and didn't. I think I finished in the top ten.
1: Now, tell us about, you know, 2015 when you won that world championship, the emotions of the years of people spitting in your cup, <laughs> you know, to That's you know,
2: awesome.
1: going going through all the things that obviously when you got dealt a blow, I think it says something about you that where a lot of people get dealt a blow, well, I just can't do it. And they go on and they, and they stop. And you did not do that. You kept working your way through it. So it, there had to be some good feelings there in 2015 to get where you got. What were the emotions that went through you when they, when they called your name,
2: well, Paul Busky was the m c that day Paul's a great friend of mine and, and it was really cool that the world championship they would always pay out the top ten, so they'd start announcing from ten down and they called tenth ninth eighth, seven six five, and then they started you know naming um oh, they get i guess down to four and they they said. Billy Argus, and then Matt Van Sice, and then Jesse Martin, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, man, my heart was racing, and I felt like I was going to throw up, because I was like, well, I had to have made the top 10 today, and when Paul called my name, I mean, it it, it it was just a complete blur. Somebody's got video of it. Oh, it was the greatest, and i I just remember going out to eat when that was over, and I called my dad, and it was pretty exciting, you know. And we went out to dinner that night, me and some buddies. And I just remember sitting there; I hardly ate, probably because I was drinking. It Just it. Sometimes it's it's hard still to to believe it, but I remember driving the next morning. I got up, I had to drive back to Little Rock to catch a flight home, and and I just remember crying like the whole way home, like I couldn't get myself together. I was just so happy, and like going through. You know getting beat up doing that stuff for so long and then to have something like that happen it's a it's a big deal i was emotional
1: about it i, I bet so you you would have to be had to be rewarding and emotions get to you especially uh, when you work through stuff like you josh
0: he doesn't i don't think he cries oh. but he does throw up when he
1: kills
0: <laughs> uh, some some yeah most of the time i still do i get excited is right?
2: um, <laughs> which is awesome it is <clears throat> The, tur- the what... turkeys, it's it's happened so much that it's kind of it's going away. But I can promise you, every time I kill a big buck, I'm gagging. I I get
0: <laughs> super worked up. Still, you'll be hunting here. Uh, <laughs> 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 there it goes. Hey, calls,
1: right. hey, calls them in. But uh, <laughs> well, Josh, tell us a little bit about. Can you walk us through what what it, a calling competition entails for? for those that don't know, and I've only saw a couple of them in person myself, but regarding the judging, the calls that you required to do, and, and you know, kind of what's the difference between open and compared to head to head and so forth?
2: Okay, well most like your regular contest, they'll have a score sheet. I think there's 13 or 14 calls on it, and they'll pick like three or four of those calls. Usually there's a yell, cutting or cackling, kiki run and then some sort of soft call like pluck and per tree call and you'll have usually five to seven judges and they'll they've got a score sheet to grade you from one to 20 on each call 20 being the best and when they hand those in they'll take the high score and the low score and they'll throw those out and then they'll take the the middle five or the three average scores and that and then add them up. But uh usually for each call, like the MC will tell you, you know, caller number three, give us the plain Yelp of the hen. And then you'll do a rendition of that, maybe maybe about a minute's worth of it. Then they'll tell you, you know, caller number three, let's hear your cutting. And then you'll do that, then Kiki run, cluck and purr, so on. And then Like the finals, they'll usually, the finals at the Grand National, they'll usually do five calls. But here in the past few years, they've done a scenario type deal where they give you a scenario of a hen waking up early in the morning, you know, doing her tree calls and builds into a cackle and flies down. She'll be feeding in a field and calling to another turkey and including some yelps, something like along that line. they They have numerous different scenarios for the finals. Some of them will be fall. Fall based.
1: Is there a difference in an in a open competition, the head to head? Are those two different things?
2: Yeah, the open is um, each guy gets up there and they've got their own, you know, four or five minutes. When the prelims would be four minutes for the prelims, and then uh, the head to head style calling, they haven't they discontinued that contest a few, two or three years ago. That would be two guys coming on stage at the same time. The MC says caller number one, plain yelp, and he goes up there and yelps for 30 seconds, and then caller number two, plain yelp, and he yelps for 30 seconds, and the judges are picking caller number one or caller number two. And then they'll do another call, and the judges will pick that, and then whoever wins two out of the, two out of the three of those calls advances. It's a bracket-type deal. It was a fun competition. They did, it, they did it for probably eight or nine years, I believe.
1: Take us to the woods, and you do you locate? You try to locate one in the evening as it's going to roost, or do you locate in the morning. I guess just depending on the situation. You probably do both, I guess, don't you?
2: Yeah. Um, if I've got like when I'm on the road, I'm I'm definitely trying to roost just because I'm there, and you know I don't have family around or anything like that, or other uh, obligations. But yeah, I'll try to try to roost. I mean, I'll I'll hoot, I'll cut cackle whatever uh turkey call at them trying to get them to gobble just drive around try to put some eyes on them whatever it takes
1: What what's your initial what, once you've got one located whether you've located in the evening before or that morning what's your what's your initial move that you try to do how close do you try to get into them what from the time you leave the truck what are you what are you trying to do
2: i'm trying to get as close as possible um and if Especially, I mean, if I know where they're going or where they're liking to hang out, I want to be close to them and I want to be where I think they're going to fly down in the direction they're going to go.
1: Uh, in the morning, are you trying to call to that gobbler while he's on the limb or are you, are you waiting on him to make his move?
2: No, I. Um, if, I'm, if I'm in tight on him and I know that he's there and he hasn't gobbled yet, I'll usually wait for him to sound off. But I mean, I'm one of those guys where I like to I like to be aggressive, and when I say aggressive, I don't mean like you know blow his eardrums out. But I like to call to him on the limb, let him know that I'm there. I think, just my opinion, I like to be the first one that he hears when he wakes up, and I want to you know I want to get in his head. I'm not going to overdo it though,
0: but I'm gonna I want him to know that I'm there. Has an advantage that most of us don't have. He sounds a lot like. <laughs> if I do that, a lot of times I get nothing. But he—he you know, he definitely has an advantage because he can can do about anything with a mouth call.
1: Now, when you say you get in close, how close do you try to get? Is there a certain yards you try to get in, or depending
2: depending on the terrain or the what the woods lays like, within a hundred yards, if possible, as, as long as I can without getting detected. You-
1: What's your What's your first call to him in in the morning?
2: I like yeah. to just. yelps like that just nothing just nothing overpowering just just letting him know
1: are you concerned if he doesn't respond to you do, what do you do if he doesn't respond or if he does respond
2: no just either way i'm just gonna i'm gonna give it a little while and then i'll let him hear it again like i'm not i'm not trying to uh provoke or jerk a gobble out of him right then i just okay. want him to, he, he's gonna he, he's gonna know i'm there
1: how about when he gets on gets on the ground? I mean, obviously, if he comes to you, that's going to change some things. If he ends up not coming to you, how, how do you handle it when he when he gets on the ground and you know you know he's down?
0: When,
2: when he's on the ground, I'm gonna I'm gonna fire it up a little bit, kick, kick up the intensity of the con and see how he reacts. And if he's got hens with him, I'm gonna see how they react. But um, a lot of it's reacting to however he he's. he's uh, However, he's acting.
1: Can you give us an example? A little bit of... Yep.
2: But I'm not going to get not going to get too carried away um i've learned something from over the years and and being a contest caller you know myself all the other guys that compete with you know we're running calls all year all year long and just waiting for the opening day of turkey season you know and all these uh calls we've been working on stuff you can't wait to get in the woods and just let it rip you know and i've caught myself over the years like going out there the first day of season and throwing everything I can possibly can at them and just obnoxious, um, just way over calling. <laughs> but I guess I've gotten a little bit older and realized that I don't need to be doing that. But, yeah, I, I like to call to them a little bit aggressive and see how they're going to react.
1: <clears throat> now, now what's your your role with rolling thunder game calls? Are, are you making calls for them? Is that that call you have there? Is that yep your signature call? Do you make it? Yep. What go? Yep. There's much go. What goes into to making a diaphragm call? Could Shed and I do it?
2: Blood,
0: blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> it's a secret sauce. He can't tell us. But we've been looking for a lot of secret sauce. Yeah, sauces. ancient. You know ancient when you Chinese secret.
1: When you when you're a novice and you go to the store, you know or guys are going to look for. And there's so many. You know the kind of the bat cut out, the different cuts, and what should a novice beginner young turkey hunter what kind of diaphragm call should they look for in your opinion
2: a novice or beginner caller i would i would recommend any type of like two read call just because it's not going to take a lot of air pressure they're going to be easier to get and produce sounds with to wear like some of these three reads with heavier latex Not knowing how to control your air just yet, that that two-read's going to be better. As far as a style of cut, a bat bat wing, combo cut, or a V, that's, man, everybody's so different. But I would recommend, you know, for for a beginner, grab a two-read, V, bat wing, combo cut, whatever you can get your hands on. Try them, see what fits you best or what you're most comfortable with. And then get to making sounds with that and then move on to a three-read of that style of cut
1: what all calls do you do you carry with you in the field do you, do you have others beside diaphragm call with you that you that you use
2: yeah i mean i've always got a glass call with me usually got an owl hooter i've got a uh pileated woodpecker call that i use as a locator a lot that i've had since the 90s sometime i don't even know what brand it is but I'd hate to know how many turkeys that thing's made gobble, but that's one of my favorite locator calls for midday locating gobblers. I usually got a box call with me sometimes. It it depends on the situation where I'm at. Like hunting out west, I've always got a box call with me just, just because there's, it's so wide open.
1: Do you think it's, it's good like for a person to have a variety in case turkey's not answering that? I mean, he may, may answer another yeah. one. So just to
2: absolutely absolutely yeah there's been yeah so many situations where you're yelping to them with a mouth call and or yelping at them with a mouth call and they won't gobble won't gobble and next thing you know you pull out a slate call and hit it and they'll gobble at it the whole way in and when, when they won't even answer a mouth call
1: is there anything to the old saying that yeah and I, I don't know which way it is but you hear a lot of people say that you can call it easier to call a turkey uphill than downhill is that true as Doug, have it backwards there, what is that?
2: I think I think uh, if you've got an opportunity to get above one, he's you're better off that way or on the same level with him. I think any any turkey in the right mood's gonna he's gonna go whatever direction you want him to. I mean I think it it's all it all depends on the turkey and his mood, in mm-hmm. my opinion.
1: You know, I hear a lot of people say, and it's happened to me quite a bit too, so I know it's something I'm not doing, but you know, you hear somebody say, Well, you know, I had him in at sixty yards or seventy and just couldn't just couldn't get him to come on in the rest of the way. What what is needed to get him to come on in the rest of that way? And a, a lot of those is it something the caller's not doing, or they're just just a contrary gobbler that's there, smart and been around.
2: there could be numbers of things. I mean it could be an obstacle that he doesn't want to come around. I, there was a situation years ago. I was, I was hunting in Southern Ohio and had a gobbler come all the way across the field. And he was red hot. And there was a log about an eight foot log. And he walked up to it and strutted back and forth behind it for an hour and just wouldn't come past it. And finally he turned and walked the other way. And it's like, if that log wouldn't have been there, I mean, I don't know, but I think sometimes when those gobblers are coming and getting close, and this is where, Like I think like being a competitive caller and being able to control volume. some guys don't know how to tone it down and just keep, you know, screaming at them the whole time as they're getting closer where I like to just hit them with that real soft, a couple note Yelps and stuff like that. Just keep their interest, but not, not be overpowering to them.
1: What do you do decoy wise? Use decoys as pretty much regular part of your setup or how do you do that?
2: yeah I've, i mean i've used decoys for a long time i was i was uh an employee at avian x for the last oh almost well oh, over twelve years but well since the inception of avian x i was there yeah i used a lot of uh had a lot of success with their quarter strut jake decoy I've seen that do some incredible things but yeah i i, I like using decoys more for uh, field turkeys than anything but they'll work in the woods but i'd something about the woods and not not using a decoy it's just one-on-one in the timber is my favorite
1: but you go with the the quarter strut uh, jake you said you you use a lay down hen or anything as as well in conjunction with that
2: i would i would just use a regular like breeder style hen not the not the lay down hen just because a lot of times in those situations the uh it's hard to find places and fields where the grass is not up to your shins where you got to lay down decoy they're not even going to see it till they're standing over it so what's the point like you almost need a uh, a fairway to set those in
1: what do you do if you, you've got a gobbler out 70 or 80 yards you're on the edge of a field and he, you know he comes out sees your decoy set up kind of holds up won't come in do you do you ride him off and well it didn't work out or you try to make a plan and try to go after him
2: uh, I hope my TSS will shoot that
1: far. it's <laughs> probably, they probably do now. I guess, don't they? I, yeah,
2: I don't. I haven't. Uh, I haven't used much of that stuff. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give it a try this year. But no, if he if he hits that point and goes and tries, to, he's not interested or going another way. I'm gonna. I'm gonna let the situation calm down, and I'm gonna see where he goes and make a move from there. Try to get in front of him, or or try to fire him back up and from a different vantage point.
1: Do you try to stay in one spot? You're pretty much on the move all the time. If there's action not happening, and or does it depend?
2: It depends on the situation. If if um, I can say, I mean, over the past twelve years of of filming, you kind of do a lot of running and gunning. But when you got all that equipment, Chet knows. um, Sometimes it doesn't hurt to be patient, especially in a field setup. If you know that they're they're frequent in those fields. I know, uh, just from the filming, filming side of things, I've grown a lot more patience and a lot more patient, and had a lot more success just parking it for a while and not being in such a hurry. Um, but I do love the running gun.
1: It you, all depends. Are you filming every hunt that you do?
2: Uh, we we always did for well. I take that back. Majority of them, yeah. But last year, last year I didn't do any filming due to COVID and everything. I had, to, I had. I think five trips lined up with Mossy Oak and the day we were leaving for Florida, we ended up, they ended up canning that pretty much the whole season that day. So I hunted 10 minutes from the house last year and all by myself, which was new to me. And it's been a long time since I've hunted by myself, but last year was a crazy year, man. Yes,
1: it was. Got a lot more people in the woods, woods last year. It seemed, seemed like overall, got to spend a little more time, more time out there as well. What What do you have lined up for this year? You got quite a bit lined up for this spring?
2: Yeah, yeah, leaving in a couple of weeks, uh, starting opening day in, in Alabama the twentieth of March, and then uh, oh, Kansas, Missouri, Pennsylvania, New York, Wisconsin. I'll be hunting around here in Ohio. Hunter Wallace and myself, we've got a a new kind of web series through Rolling Thunder. It's gonna be on the the go app and stuff called Rogue Hunts. Excited about that, getting that up and going. We're going to be including some of our other staffers, like Terrence Williamson and Jarrell Lanham I'm Excited to get back on the road. I felt like I rode the bench all last spring. You know, getting on social media and seeing guys out killing turkeys all over the place, guys that were traveling, and I, uh, I wasn't risking it, getting running all over the place. My dad was uh, going through chemo and stuff, right. and uh, just couldn't couldn't risk it. Just as tough as it was, so
1: now how many how many days will you be in? The- turkey woods this spring would you estimate
2: i would think probably around 40 i'd, I'd have to go to the calendar and look but <laughs> through some trips and then when i'm home I'll, I'll hunt every day here in ohio whether it be for myself or, or trying to get somebody else on one
1: now how about deer hunting how, how many days will you spend uh in the woods during deer season you do you are you just <laughs> as passionate about it as you are the turkeys
2: yes yeah i love the deer <laughs> hunt too deer hunt, i go as as much as my wife will let me, um, which we've got a three-year-old little girl now, so my days have been cut kind of short. But I still, I still love it.
1: You do most of your hunting there in Ohio, or do you try to get out and go like you do the turkey hunting as well?
2: Um, I I hunt Ohio. I hunt I hunt rifle season in Missouri every year. This past year, I hunted uh, Tennessee as well. That's about it. We got, we got some pretty good deer around here that uh, keep, keeps me busy. I
1: bet. He killed a
0: good one this year, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, in Tennessee.
1: How, how good was he? Hold, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He was yeah. a 151
2: inch. Well, he's a nine point with this one inch G4, but
1: he was a good one. Yes, he is. And you, I'm sure you have several good ones like him there in Ohio, don't you? Or, or bigger, probably, too, don't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we've got some some really good deer around here. Did you how many a- How many deer did you get in this year to mount? Josh, he, which some of these folks might not know, but he also does taxidermy work. He's mounted. The last two deer I killed in Ohio, he's mounted. I winged one this year, and I got you some more uh, business.
2: <laughs> I got a funny story for you on that, too. Now, um, to answer your question, I got around 50 to do when I ain't got a minute to, I think I've done about eight so far. No, you sent a check to pay for your deer head last year, right? So I got it and put it in my billfold and come home and I laid it on the table (laughs) and uh, I was going to, um, deposit it, you know, mobily through my phone electronically. So I, I've got it sitting on the table and my wife comes in and she's like, what the hell is this? And I'm like. Oh, it's a check that guy sent for his deer head, and she's like, "Well, did you read it?" And I'm like, "No,"
1: <laughs>
2: she, and she's like, "What the hell?" And you know where you where you sign your name at the bottom on the left hand side? What the checks for you write on it? Well, Shed wrote "sex work. <laughs> and
0: uh, yeah, she got a kick out of that.
2: I I got I had a buddy
0: of mine do that. He wrote me a check for like a hundred bucks, and he wrote on "sexual favors." <laughs> <laughs> And I got it, and I went. How am I going to deposit that? I'm like, "Ah, I want the hundred bucks. Yeah, she got a kick out of that.
2: But no, I got a man. I got a bunch of big deer in here to mount.
1: Have you been doing that for years? Have you been doing? When did you fit in taxidermy with calling and hunting and family and work?
2: Okay, so when I was in college, um, where I went to school. There was an elective course, an evening taxidermy class that uh, I got into. Oh, shoot.
0: That would have been in the late 90s. Yeah, because that's how I met Jack. That's how I I met Josh. So. Through the same, I guess you could call him a professor, taxidermy professor. Yeah. Yeah. So through the taxidermy, through the
2: class I mounted a deer in that class and then the uh, the school ended up hiring him on full time and put him a shop there on the square in town and I spent so much time in there I was there sweeping the floors and just watching over his shoulders and finally he hired me on just to just kind of help out and and this guy I would I would consider him my turkey hunting mentor too I mean I turkey hunted before I met Jack, but when I met Jack, I learned how to turkey hunt. Like that's when we started killing turkeys and learning how to do it the right way and effectively. Um, but I learned tax taxidermy from him and I've been doing that since the late nineties.
0: And, uh, yeah, it was a few, I think it, was it like 2001 Dustin? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Spring of 2001 is when I, I had actually, you had just had started? Called, yeah, I may I might have been my second spring at Mall Show, but I'd called Jack, I think, and said, Hey, you got any any turkeys? And then kind of the story with his son, his son is, is deaf. And uh, but Jack, like Josh is saying is you a turkey hunter. So I brought the camera up and, and get there and Josh is there. And that's when I met Josh and and Josh and Jack kind of uh double teamed the turkeys we killed and then his son, oh, is his name Seth. Yeah, is. Seth. yeah seth um ended up shooting a turkey and we got it all on film and then went over and, and filmed him doing some motocross race and he was he was big into that at the time but we kind of uh, that's i think that's when i met josh the first. yeah yeah um, that was a long time ago yeah 20 years and then a couple years after that he starts working for freddie at zinc coles and of course that was the first place i worked at and, uh, it's just kind of, again, he kind of, he worked down there at, uh, at, in the square for the Mossy Oak store. I spent a lot of time in the square when I was there, but it was at the mine shaft, which is a local bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been there a million times, but, uh, it's kind of, it's really kind of an interesting story because me and Josh have kind of worked the same places, worked with the same people and met each other that way. And then 20 years later, here we are on a podcast. It's um, pretty cool. Yeah. So, so this hunt
2: with jack and seth and like dustin said seth's completely deaf and probably one of uh just an incredible woodsman i mean he does great in the woods he's killed a ton of big bucks killed a lot of
0: turkeys he actually killed two turkeys that trip shed Mm -hmm, he did the other one go ahead the other one didn't have a beard which was hilarious no (laughs) but, but but
2: he came in there like a big boy jumped up and strutted on that log and i mean it was 100% 100% a gobbler yeah. but right before that we were walking down the hill and we get down to this boil while landing it's wide open and we're standing around there chewing the fat you know nothing's happening And you ask to see his gun and you're standing there and you unscrew his choke tube I and know. we're like man what's he doing he's like he shed tells us hey Josh you call and then we'll all act like we hear one gobble it's dirty <laughs> oh,
1: oh. So shed has
2: got his choke tube out of his shotgun. I act like I caught, I'm caught calling, and then, boom, all three of us at the same time just point like, you know, we just heard a turkey gobble over there. And, you know, instant fire drill. Everybody's running to try to find a spot to to hide, and he's standing there, and I remember he took that gun threw it on the ground and ran up and threw his middle finger up in all our faces. <laughs> he was pissed, and he, as he should
1: have. Yeah, good for, right good for him. Good for him.
2: That was that was my introduction to Shed, my first impression, and uh, he hasn't changed since. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, actually, I found I dug something out this morning. I found a a picture from
0: that day, Shed. And I got one framed at my house. Can you see that? Yeah. yeah. God, I look like I weigh 140 pounds.
2: <laughs> I don't know about that. You still, you're still ugly. <laughs>
1: Josh, do you, do you have to have a little? Um, I would think taxidermy, you'd have to have some some artist in you. Is is that true or no?
2: Yeah, I'd say you got to have an eye for it, and you got to be a little bit meticulous. And over the years, I feel like I keep keep getting better and better and better at it. But yeah, it definitely takes an eye and some some. Yeah, you got to have some art artsy mm-hmm. stuff to you, I guess.
1: Now, as a turkey caller and a champion turkey caller what in the deer woods, do you do much much calling there because of that? Do you try to use vocalization or horn rattle horns yeah and...
2: yeah i'll- I'll try them every now and again. yeah, I usually don't go to the woods without a grunt tube except for this year kind of got a little hanky on me i I had a custom grunt tube that one of my buddies made me that was awesome it was beautiful, made out of uh oh shoot it was made out of hedge and it was kind of burnt and just a beautiful grunt tube and I slammed it in the door of the truck and crushed it one morning <laughs> oh. this year I got to get a new one of those but uh no I had a lot of luck grunting deer in and, and yeah I won't go to the woods without without a grunt tube or binoculars I just constantly always with me
1: what, what do you think the average hunter from a turkey hunt standpoint biggest mistake that most of us make that, uh, probably hurts ourselves that we could do a better job on?
2: One is patience. I mean, just with getting to hunt him all the time for a long time, I've, man, there's been so many times you sit there and you don't hear him for a little bit and you mm-hmm. think, well, it's over or he's gone. You stand up in the son of a gun, standing right there over the bank or whatever, you know, just, just, don't be in a big fat hurry. That, and, like I was saying earlier, with calling, just just on my end, some of the things that I that I think about is just just back off a little bit. You don't have to blow their eardrums out or call just to hear yourself call all the time. You don't you don't need to make them gobble all the time either. I mean, they know where you're at. Give them, give them some time.
1: How often are you calling? Do you, is that even? Relevant there, or Are you just calling as the gobbler dictates? You know, so where it's more more random, I guess, dependent upon him.
2: Yeah, dependent on him. Uh, that the cool thing about turkey hunting is every situation's different. You know, you never know what's going to happen. It's it's yeah, just feeling them out and seeing seeing how they're gonna what they want, what they're wanting to do, and what they're wanting to hear. Some of them, you know, run you over, and some of them, they'll just slow walk all the way in.
1: Is is there any Circumstance or situation where you just write one off that you're not going to go after them and try them and you're going to stay where you're at, or go another direction, or is the opportunity there to go after all of them? Should a person try to go after all of them?
2: Man, that's uh, <laughs> I guess it depends on what else you've got in the area. If you, if I'm, if I'm hunting a place where I don't have anything else local to, uh, to bounce to. If there's a gobbler that's just kind of, you know, giving you those courtesy gobbles and stuff, and not really wanting to play, if I've got a place to somewhere else to go and try, I'll leave him and go try another one and come try him later. If that's the only one I got, I'm going to do whatever I can to try to get close to him and and, in his bubble, you know.
1: As the season progresses and they've been hunted, and any tactics change for you that, uh, as far as trying to kind of increase your success as the season goes on.
2: Well, I know as the, as the season progresses, I mean the opportunities there to to obviously get a lot closer with the amount of foliage, on. Yeah. I mean that's a huge advantage to a hunter. Yeah, for sure. I mean being able to to cover ground on them is is a
0: huge huge tactic and advantage.
1: Shit, you got any you got any questions? Run through your mind.
0: I, I brought up something earlier to Josh, but I'm not going to throw it out there on the table. I don't want to get him in trouble.
1: Oh, about the, the office visit.
0: Early. yeah i the office visit but we'll pass on that
1: one <laughs> some things are best left for the. yeah there's probably a
0: bunch we, of i mean um they, we've had some we've had some good hunts we hunted uh what was it oklahoma a couple years ago yeah yeah hunted out there we've of course texas and uh you know early on in ohio but it's just this proof it's just in funny kentucky. how yeah in kentucky yeah over at Waltz. We it's just funny how every few years we get together, do something, and then whack a whack a turkey and then a couple of years later we do it again and do it again and just been rolling on for think, almost twenty years now. It's just it's just kinda of funny how our, our paths, both of both of us being from Ohio and everything, just stayed right a right Go on Bucks! The, that's right. <laughs> Go bucks.
1: <laughs> outside of Ohio, you know, you said you hunted, you know, New York, Pennsylvania, I think, and of course several other states. What's, what's your favorite place outside of Ohio? Oh,
2: man, I don't know. Um, is good. Wherever there's a goblin turkeys is <laughs> have been my favorite place. Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma's awesome. Kentucky's awesome. I mean, everywhere is so different. Oh, I, I, I couldn't pick. I don't know. There've been so, been so many cool places. Oklahoma, just because of the uh, the amount of them and the amount mm-hmm. you get to hear something about Kentucky. Excuse me. In those uh, big rolling, big rolling mountains yeah. and stuff, and just the way they sound down there, and having that terrain to work with is is fun. I don't know, man. They're all awesome.
1: If season's in, any place is good, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I, so excited for this season to roll around. I'm I'm tired of. Well, you guys got
0: some snow down there, didn't you, Chad? Yeah, I got. I had almost
1: they shut down
0: four inches of uh, ice and snow mixed together. For it shut the it shut everything down for a week. Wow. Look like a blizzard.
1: Josh you got about yeah. got one last major question for you. If you get you're down in two hours to go in in the, in the hunting season. What's your aggressive move? What are you doing to try to get it done? Fill out tag.
2: Um, well, if it's legal, um, in that state, I'll, I'll sneak up on them and bushwhack them if that's what it takes. I've
0: done that a lot.
2: I, when they, when they don't want to play it, I mean, it comes down to it. Um, I, I'm a turkey hunter. I mean, if whatever tactic it takes to get it done, but like I said, so many of the last few years of filming, um, that's really not a. An option, but I'll do it.
1: You got five quick, kind of quick questions for you if you don't mind. Just kind of one answer type deals. What, what's one thing that you look forward to the most as it relates to turkey season?
2: Uh, sharing turkey camps with my buddies yeah. and uh, getting to share those experiences with those turkeys coming in. You know, watching uh, nothing beats watching one of your buddies or a, a grown adult fall. Fall to pieces with a turkey, you know, at twenty yards, or, th- or
1: throw up, or whatever the case may be. W- whatever, you know? man. Right. Yes, <laughs>
2: you can't beat it.
1: What What's your weapon of choice?
2: Uh, Browning Silver 12
1: gauge. What's one thing in your hunting arsenal that you just can't live without?
2: Uh, binoculars.
1: When you think about turkey hunting success, who's the first person that comes to your mind?
2: Oh boy, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely true. <laughs> Walter Parrott's always been one of my uh, one of my favorites, just uh, just because he he's always had a beautiful yelp, and I don't know, a friend of mine now. I think Walter's a great guy, and just always loved listening to him yelp. I'm Grand National champion too.
1: If you could only have three songs on your musical playlist, what would they be?
2: um eminem lose yourself stevie what? nicks edge of 17. that's a uh a song that um i always listened to with a with my mom when i was a kid and now me and my daughter listen to it damn near every day <laughs> and then um oh boy probably anything acdc there you go oh yes
1: You know, the thing that I liked the most about your answer, especially the first two, you were definitive. There was no thinking. You you knew them. So you knew what you
2: liked. I don't know. If you know that, Lose Yourself by Eminem, that's kind of a song that gets you pumped up. Stevie Nicks, my daughter, in the bathtub every night. Daddy, let's listen to Stevie Nicks.
1: That's (laughs) great. (laughs) What did you see? Uh, uh, That was going to be my last question, but did you see your success? once you start having success in a turkey calling competitions, did you notice your hunting success go up did they, did they kind of parallel each other?
2: Maybe a little. Yeah, I guess, I guess I could, I would say, yeah, just because of overall confidence. There's so, something about being confident when you're going hunting. Um, makes all the difference. Doesn't it's, it? What's that it makes sorry. all the
1: difference when you, when, when you're confident in yourself, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. You, when you get out of the truck in the morning, it's like, man, we're going to go kill one. And I mean, I'm pretty optimistic every morning when my feet hit the ground when we're going hunting. Like, today's going to be the day we're going to kill one, and we're going to kill one tomorrow, too, whatever. But, uh, yeah, being confident is a – when you know that your calling's good, I don't know, man. It's – yes.
1: Yeah, no, I don't – you know, going into archer season, if I don't shoot my bow, you know, a certain amount of times, I I don't feel – I may be exactly the same, probably am, but I just don't feel right, you know. right. Playing If you don't put the practice in, I don't feel like the game, like I'm ready to ready to go. I,
2: I do the same thing like when we're traveling every camp we get into or whatever. I mean, I'll get my shotgun out. And I want to go sit down and shoot it. I just mm-hmm. want to be sure and have that confidence that that gun's still where it's at. And, I mean, I I'll do it two, two, three times a week. I just – exactly what you just said.
0: Confidence should, is huge, man.
1: Shed, do you have any final thoughts, sir?
0: No. I mean – mean josh is
1: about as good as they come so it definitely sure definitely seems like it especially i mean let's take the office incident which we didn't even talk about and then of course writing on the check and other i'm sure there's many other stories and he's still hanging with you (laughs) you know that says a lot about him right there well josh i appreciate you taking the time to visit with us and uh, it's been a pleasure to have you especially somebody uh, of your caliber that's done the things that That you've done in your turkey hunting or turkey calling competitions and whatnot. You're the best of the best. And so appreciate you taking time out for us. For somebody like me who's an extreme novice and somebody like Shed who's just pure old Shed. Either way, you did both (laughs) of us a a huge favor.
2: (laughs) I appreciate you guys having me. Yes, sir. All right. Hey, Josh, hey, pleasure meeting you. Thank Thank you. Thanks again, sir.
1: Kill a bunch of them. You too. Yes, sir. Thank you for spending time today with Shed Nine and, and our guest, Mr. Josh Grossenbacher of Rolling Thunder Game Calls. Josh was a 2015 world champion and a 2017 grand national champion turkey caller. Check out Josh on YouTube with calling sequences and hunts. You can subscribe to the Rolling Thunder Game Calls channel. Also, please assist us by liking and rating today's episode and by subscribing to the Foshi Creek Podcast. We are not a sponsored podcast, so the only way we're able to reach a broader audience is by word of mouth, and the number of subscriptions, likes, and positive ratings that we receive. Please share our content on your social media platforms and with all your hunting and outdoor friends. Thank you again for listening, and as always, we learned everything we knew down on Foshi Creek.